Love, love will tear us apart again. Love, love will tear us apart again. That was really cool, guys. We almost was, did that actually was, not that bad. It was, it was pretty close. Although last when we time factor we in the delay because we're doing this over right. the internet, that's it's going to suck ass. That's what I was going to say. Last time we thought we <laughs> but it was punk. it too. It was punk, and guys. We, actually we were didn't. so stoked, but then when you listen to it back, you're like, actually, we did not nail that at all. We <laughs> Which just is thought why it. I had to completely manufacture a narrator bit that I put in there that said they didn't actually. We know it's it. funny. They actually recorded that song like many times because they couldn't even nail it so you know it's uh yeah. it be worse right so welcome yeah. to the stoner's point of view my name is brett i'm here with my co-hosts terrell and phil guys i know you're excited about the show today terrell especially the song i know you're quite fond of this song huge huge fan like probably um, my like favorite stuff like awesome. uh, musically <laughs> i'm very excited for the movie as well how about you phil how you doing buddy Oh, I'm doing just great. I'm I, I'm stoked on both, right? Like these, it's it's Joy Division, and it's like Will Ferrell ascending to his peak. Uh, right. So I'm very excited about that. I just took a couple of bong hits of weed that I got from my mother-in-law. When uh, nice. shout out, Mandy's mom. I won't name your name, but uh, uh, she gave me some weed, and she's like, "I'm not sure if this is the psychedelic stuff or if it's the CBD stuff or what it is." And I just took a couple of hits right before we started recording this. It's not the CBD stuff, boys. <laughs> well, welcome to Canada, where yeah. your mother-in-law throws weed to give to her son-in-law. Yeah, welcome to Canada, where the rules are made up and the points don't matter. That's a whose line is it anyways throwback, by the way. Yes, yes. Um, so we know what uh, Phil's smoking. How about you, Terrell? What are you smoking this week? Uh, I went to the old dispensary around the corner, uh, and I picked up uh, some pink kush as per nice. my weed... Uh, Weed dispensary recommended. It was cheap. I got, I got three and a half grams for twenty dollars Canadian. Nice. I don't know what that. I don't know what that translates to euros or USA. Not a lot, Trell. Not a lot. <laughs> yeah, you got a, You got a pretty good deal on that. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it's and judging, yeah, judging, judging by your chuckles, it, uh, it's it's pretty. It's a pretty good stuff. So me for the first time this week when I did the pod, as as you know, I don't smoke when we record this, but. Uh, when I did the research for the pod, I was actually able to partake in the crop that I grew with my dad this year for the first time. It's a, uh, a Bubba Kush. Brett, add that shit in and post. I, you know I'm gonna. Um, and Terrell, I remember when I uh, gave you a bag of last year's crop of dad Kush and you messaged me telling me about how many times you got really, really high off that. And... Uh, when we were talking about this year's crop, you were saying, oh, I, I hope it's as good as last year's. And I, I got to say, boys, it's a lot better than last year's. So nice. uh, I was very ripped when, when I was uh, listening to this song, watching the movie. But I think that just, uh, as it usually does, added to my enjoyment. So I was, uh, I was pretty stoked on that. Again, thanks, Mandy's mom. My mother-in-law. Grow some dank weed. I'm discovering it more and more as we go on. I'd also just like to thank Canada for just selling it around the corner. If you yep. don't have a mother-in-law or could grow your own, like I can't. So well, you know, once again, happy shout, that. shout out legal weed. Um, it's single-handedly carrying us through this pandemic at the moment. Actually, if I may, boys, 
Uh, do you remember that brief period of time where marijuana was legal, but selling or buying it wasn't, and there was illegal dispensaries every day, everywhere, and I had yeah. literally two, like at like a block yes. down from me. Yeah. Oh. So that was that was an interesting time for anyone who's who's not in Canada. It was like when the legislation was like in the works, so the actual leg legality of it was still somewhat of a gray area. It was technically still illegal but it wasn't really worth the police time to really do a whole lot about it. It was definitely worth the time to make that sweet, sweet cash off of right. it. Oh, for sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it, it was amazing because the place around from Phil's uh, was amazing. They had this deal, uh, five joints, very large, what I would call... Um, Cackers. A cacker, as we would say. A big old cacker. And uh, it was five of them with this, like, what was it? It was called, like, Fire and Ice, which I don't know if that's a real strain or not, but uh, it was definitely much better than those that really bad TV show that it was named after. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. I don't know if that was a real strain or not, but it was definitely real marijuana, and I definitely got real high on that shit. <laughs> well, boys, I guess we should uh, dig in here. I'm going to throw a humdinger at you again. Um, you didn't think you didn't think you'd see it two weeks in a row, but uh, oh, what do you got for me? What do you once got again, for me, Once again, we have uh, Rogan or Rogan this week's <laughs> oh, edition. Shit. Oh and, shit! Uh, I've, been, I've been doing my research just in case. By research, do you mean the kind of research where we just smoke a lot of weed? <laughs> yeah, or where like I like I like drive somewhere and listen to the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, I do okay. that a lot too. So all right, so here we go. Quote quote number one. Be cool to people, be nice to as many people as you can, smile to as many people as you can, and have them smile back at you. Joe Rogan. I'm going to say Seth Rogan on this one. Answer is... Joe Rogan. Oh, oh yeah. See, Terrell, eat my dust. Eat my <laughs> dust. All right. We have live your life like you're the hero in your own movie. Uh, I, I'm gonna say Joe Rogan on that one, yeah. And the answer is you're both right. It's Joe Rogan again. <laughs> Terrell, I only said Joe Rogan because I knew you would choose Joe Rogan. <laughs> I, I only said Joe Rogan because it was correct in your face. There we go, three for three. <laughs> I know most people don't like their jobs very much and don't get a lot of personal satisfaction from their jobs. That's something that I really do get a lot of. Oh, that's Seth Rogan. I'm gonna say Seth Rogan as well, yeah. And you're both right again. I'll make the harder ones for next week because you guys are all over this. You Guess got, what? You three got... for three, Terrell. Three for three. You won in your square face. this time. In your face. Well, if we're doing this every week, we're actually tied because uh, I won last week. So. That's very true. No, we tied last week, actually. So uh, guess what? Oh yeah, one wrong one each, lead. and then you guys got yeah. it correct. Yeah. So so far, I it's. Uh, hate you so much, Terrell. You want to know the truth? So the only reason I got the first one wrong is I just didn't want to agree with you. Yeah, which well, is great it probably should have because then you would have been right because that's what happened the second two times now isn't it second two times yeah who teaches you how to count <laughs> yeah now i'm definitely oh, never agreed with you big shout out to my mother-in-law for getting me really baked <laughs> well with that we may as well get right into this song because uh that's something that i got really really baked and listened to and uh i'm just gonna say before we, I'm going to preface this whole thing, say, I don't know as much about the band Joy Division as you guys do. And I don't know much about the, the, all the side stuff 
around the song and around the the band they formed new order and stuff like that i don't i don't know a lot of that so i'm going to stick to my guns with this and i'm going to do an itinerary of the song and you guys feel free to add as much commentary as you want but i won't be doing a lot of that for this one so yeah yeah that's i think actually terrell is probably the real expert on this one so i feel like he's going to be providing a lot of the facts and it's just going to be you and i agreeing with him yeah so I'm enjoy huge, folks i'm a huge joy division fan like i've even <laughs> read Pet peter hook's book the bass player uh so it's a pretty deep obsession with me whereas did he call song, it uh the hook book by chance because that's no, what i would have called it no he didn't he didn't i forget what it's actually called. Okay. speaking of hooks though speaking of hooks the hook in this song <laughs> starts right off the bat and really continues throughout the whole entire thing and i gotta say it is one it's of the those whole song that, that does, it doesn't song. let you go at all brett that is such a smooth segue that i could ride it off a cliff little segue humor there well even another segue peter hook's nickname was hooky probably because of all the great bass lines that he wrote that were more like melodic in nature than mm -hmm. your typical playing the root and you could see in he does an interview where he talks about like where you know he's been in bands before he was in joy division and people would be like oh play the root note play the root note and he'd be like no I don't do that. Like, that's not how I play bass. And he despised that. And that's what I think really gave them such a big sound. Well, another thing with our boy Hooky is that he didn't really even know how to play bass. He just bought one one day because he was like, I want to be in a band. Well, they saw the and, Sex Pistols. You know, they saw the yeah, Sex Pistols. Yeah, yeah. And if you, if you listen to, like, a lot of his riffs, it's like, like uh, I was listening to a podcast that was talking about them uh, just a little while ago, uh, No Dogs in Space, great podcast. Uh, but they were saying like how his bass lines a lot of times, it's like, that shouldn't work. Like, that should be wrong, but it just sounds right. And it's, it's so true with so much of what he does. I, I find with bass as an instrument specifically, if you try to compartmentalize and do what you are tech, quote unquote supposed to do, um, a lot of times it comes out like transparent and you don't really add anything except like a, a low wall to the sound and some bands that's all they want but i've never been the kind of bass player either that could just you know go with the flow and play the roots like it's so i, I have a lot of respect for this guy mm -hmm. yeah but, they're an yeah, amazing band the, in general like uh, just to to say like the, the the fact that like they all met up because of like a sex pestles concert and they all got they're all old friends and like bernard went and bought a guitar and hooky went and bought a bass and they all kind of just made up the sound themselves that's responsible for all these other bands is, is actually really incredible. And this song is like their piece of resistance. You know what well, I mean? And, and I, I love uh, that part right at the beginning, near the beginning of the song where it's got those fast strum transitions, but then it, it goes into that sweet synthy part. And like, this is the seventies. So synth like wasn't super commonplace in that style of music. So it really was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, if you think about it, that that song, it's actually inspired by this band called New N-E-U. And it's a song called Hero, where it has that like build up, the band. Dun, 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 dun. And what's really cool about the way that, you know, Joy Division was inspired by it is that they, they do like a bass chord. And actually, Ian, the singer who's like really famous and kind of like, you know, kind of the, the real, you know, the heart and soul of this band, he didn't actually really know how to play guitar. But there's a couple of parts in this song where the, the main guitar player, you know, obviously couldn't play guitar. So Ian just played like this weird teardrop guitar and just played the D chord. And that's all he plays because it's the drone of the song. Well, even in that intro strum, like, I don't know about you guys, but every time I, I purposely put this song on, like, and I, I just kind of noticed it when, for the sake of this podcast, when we were listening to it, but that opening strum, you're, I'm always kind of like, is this the right song? 
because I've got the rest of the song so much in my head. And then all of a sudden the synth kicks in. And you're like, oh, yeah. Because, like, for a second, this just sounded like a classic rock banger. But then it goes all uh, Joy Division on you. <laughs> right. And then, and then you get, you get rocking with this synth. And when the vocals come in, the first thing I thought was, I love that this singer is a baritone or a high baritone and sings in that lower register that really like, I don't, I don't hear a lot of like really good bands that have a lower key singer. And that was a, a really big plus for me when listening to it. Yeah. Well, Ian Curtis is like really inspired by like the doors and the stooges and you know, David Bowie, obviously. And so, you know, a lot of those guys and those bands had like kind of more of a lower voice, but I will, this song is special for a good reason, which I think Phil is uh, going to mention because they were recording and they're like, sing like this guy. And that guy is Phil. Do you know who they I, told I actually don't know. Sinatra. <laughs> they told him to sing like Sinatra. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, but Frank Sinatra's more just like a, Hey there person. You're looking good, like it's just like a, <laughs> you know, like you hear that low, like that baritone singing, and you like you think that's gonna be easy, and then you try mm -hmm. it, and you sound like an absolute asshole unless, for like unless just, that's deleting take after take, and you're just like you're watching these. You know what I hate? Because you know, like uh, to the people listening, you guys know, but like you know, I I did the singing thing, but like in a metal band, and I sweat a lot when I do that shit, and then seeing like these these baritone guys on stage just like singing and like relaxing like eating a carrot just not yeah. busting a, like a sweat at all it's just like i am so jealous of you yeah well ian curtis didn't uh but then you try it and it's, it's actually way harder than just screaming shit ian mm -hmm. curtis did a lot more than bust a sweat on stage oh yeah Oh, yeah. He had a fit, you might say. He was <laughs> yeah, having yeah. a fit up there. Yeah, he did, have a great, he did have a great time singing in the Little Register. He, you know, a lot of people, like, uh, that, that's what they're kind of famous for is him, you know, um, you know, being depressed and then getting epileptic seizures because of the life on the road, not right. sleeping and eating right. But most people don't know, and what this song is really about is how he actually had this, like, girlfriend, I think, who, who lived in Belgium, but he was all married before the band started. Yep. And he, you know, hid this from his wife. So because closer which their second album which this song is from um was so much pressure on him that's why he started having like a seizure like every two weeks or so before before the end and he actually like you know passed away before this song came out and mm -hmm. it was actually on the eve of their their first american tour so this song is actually like a really powerful song lyrically i think yeah. it's it's kind of punk because it's a it's a joke in a way because it's making fun of the the song love will keep us together right yeah uh, love by, will tear uh, us apart what's it called i forget something in Tennille. What's it called? I forget. I'm trying to look at my love the will keep the us together. Cat, yeah, the captain and Tennille. Yeah, <laughs> and you know you know that song when you hear it. But then yeah. when you hear this song, it's like this really super dark, like expansive kind of cinematic sound to it, but also like uplifting. And it's just a really special song, I think. Yeah. Well, there's the one line I I I actually didn't really even notice it until uh, we decided we were going to do this for the podcast. Uh, what, what what does he say? Something like like you're you seem so cold you turn away from me on your side or something like that i can't remember exactly how he words it but just that description is like if you've ever you know lived with your your partner and came home and knew that you fucked up like that <laughs> line that line means something well yeah. and it's funny too because a lot of the times if you look at a lot of like other um joy division songs they're actually like really impersonal and they leave it up to like the listener to interpret this song is very clearly about like personal relationships and obviously him talking about his marriage and cheating on his wife uh and mm -hmm. it's a really it's probably the most depressing like kind of pop 
like post-punk kind of song really if you think about bro, it bro it's yeah. so depressing that uh thursday had a song called level terrace apart and actually right. even on their first album they had uh a song called ian curtis on their, on yeah. their album waiting well so and many that was like are... that was the proto emo band more so small, many... i guess joy division really was but you know what i mean well, Joy Division was like the proto, like everything, like proto, yeah. like dance, proto punk, like it's it spawned a lot yeah. of things for sure. Because if ever if pro I played post punk, if I played Blue Monday right now, you'd be like, "Who's this?" And then everyone would know the song. But that's that's Joy Division. That's New Order. Yeah, yeah. and what I what I love about this is it like on so many levels, this song is so deep because of the meaning and the circumstances surrounding like Ian Curtis's life and and untimely death and all this stuff, but lost in all that also is just like how well written of a song it is like it's, and that's because of their producer yeah Martin Hannick, and that guy made the like there's a famous story of how like they made he made the drummer come in at like 4 a.m just to record his snare because what he invented was kind of like isolating each sample and each sound so he'd make the drummer play each peach now if you listen to that song it's like imagine yeah. doing each of that like for the the whole song like on like an old tape to tape in the 70s uh that's that's the thing like every like whether you're going through joy division or new order like just every single instrument like just the the tone and everything is just absolutely perfect like it's yeah. it's it's not overproduced but it is it's like right on the cusp of that but it's still just in well, in really well produced territory I, I remember reading that some of the members actually like took umbrage with that they like the peter the hook didn't was... like how it, perfect and clean and big it sounded he didn't like how like it sounded like not punk and I don't I don't think he realized until after he was like in New Order for a while like how influential Martin Hannix's produ production style was and uh, mm -hmm. you know because like you said like I think Hooky is an amazing kind of character because he really is like a now is like an elder statesman of punk rock and that guy looked up to like stuff like the Stooges and things but he also like invented a lot of like sounds now that are kind of considered like classic right so it's funny when you say I I never really thought of it until you just said that. But yeah, like about the the elder statesman of of punk rock. Uh, how many of those guys were just pissed off people that didn't know how to play an instrument and just said fuck it, let's do this, you know? And that's it's, exactly uh, it's hilarious. What these guys are right, like Joy Division. I think you know when people hear this song, and the reason why I'm so excited to do this is because I think it's a song that a lot of people you know know, but they don't really know the history behind the band and their significance and the fact that like bands like you know, Radiohead have covered, you know, Joy Division, Nine Inch Nails have covered them. Like, mm -hmm. The Cure obviously is influenced by Joy Division. And, you know, these are guys that went to, like, a Sex Pistols concert and then turned into this, you know, like this dark, bleak band. Exactly. Well, and just also just one of the absolute legends of rock. I don't want to use the term monsters of rock because that usually you know kind of includes like the more hard rock bands but like these guys were just so influential and whether or not you know about joy division or not or go new back order. and listen to them or new order for that instance which we will get more into as this goes on but uh, uh you know it's you cannot deny it and and even if you don't think you know these guys you know these guys and well you know it's funny that you mentioned like a band like thursday if you look in a song that like we all love called elegy or elegy guys how you're supposed to say it um by new order it has yeah. really amazing guitar playing and, and bass playing and keyboards and, and all this good stuff. And when you listen to like a lot of like modern emo bands like Thursday or whatever, they obviously were listening to New Order. It's very clear. You know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. I think I think the way I always 
imagine it pronounced as Elegia, but uh, can we just go off and talk about how that was the boat song? Can we just <laughs> do a little, a little tangent? I, I think we do have time. Hours? Yeah, so like the reason why I bring that song up is that we had this really amazing party uh, for Phil for his bachelor party before he got married and uh, ended up, uh, you know, committing to uh, a very serious thing. So what better way to to set off right is to get our own cottage on an island where we could, uh, you know, get really drunk and go on a boat out to this island. And the funny part about it was, is that this song, if you know the song, Aliga, it's kind of a, like all New Order or, or uh, Joy Division songs, it has a very dark, bleak kind of feel to it. It's not really something you probably perhaps would want to play on a boat ride. And I think my favorite part about it was uh, I put it on and Phil was like on the boat and Phil was a, uh, I grew up right on Lake Erie and Phil did not. And so I was used to going on boats and Phil was like, Hey, where should I sit? Like, well, and I was like, yeah, sit right up, uh, right on the, the, the front of the boat, Phil. That was and, a bad idea. <laughs> and yeah, obviously I sat in the back where it's way more stable and we put that song on. And I think Phil's like really calling it the boat song was because of him <laughs> flying in the, the waves of the Sarnia river or what river is that called? Uh, uh, I, forget. I can't even remember. It's a really big, either. scary river near Windsor. But <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, yeah. The, that cottage was owned by a, a mutual acquaintance named Mitch. And I think oh, everybody's, what up, Mitch? Got, a, everybody's what up, got a Mitch. And, uh, Our listenership we'll, just went up by one, boys. Yeah. We'll, 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 get, we'll tell Mitch that he's, we talk about him in the show. Yeah. He'll be so stoked. Yeah. If you listen but, to the next episode, Mitch, we'll call it the Mitch cast. But um, no, just to, to get back on track here a little, um, one thing from, as I said, I'm going to kind of uh, keep to the – the mechanics of the song more so because I don't know a lot about the other stuff. But uh, one thing that I really liked is uh, their transition into the chorus in this song was right out of the verse. There was no like, there was no pre-chorus. There was no transitional uh, riff or anything. They, they went from the verse straight into the chorus and the singer just started singing the chorus. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of those things that's like, it's uh it's genius, but it's also born of the fact that they're just like punk rock kids that are just like, they don't know what they're doing, but they just know they want to play music and they know what it wa- they want it to sound like. And yeah, from like a more musical sense, like the, the, a lot of their songs were like really like based on a drone note. And that's what this song does. There isn't really like, they don't really like a lot of the times have like separate riffs a lot. And this song's kind of like that where it is the same chords and the riffs kind of slightly alter. Um, and then there'll be like an instrumental part. They didn't normally write like your standard, mm-hmm. like verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of songs, which is what right. makes them they, kind I of mean, interesting. They groove it out, you know? Yeah. And you could tell that, that it was a cycle. Like their, their groove was a whole cycle of parts. It wasn't, it wasn't just like part by part by part. And then all their transitions were these cool instrumentals. And especially mm-hmm. after the second chorus, they do a guitar solo and then go into a third verse, which again, <laughs> We, we touched on this when we did uh, the, the Tom Petty episode. Third verses are not super common. Well, it's funny. That's, I was going to mention that, Brett. Like, I was going to mention the Tom Petty uh, episode. Uh, not, not for what you said, but for the fact that it's another one of those times when I'm just trying to listen to a song and really focus on it. And then next thing I know, I just get caught grooving to it and it's over. You know, right. it's just one of those songs that just grabs you and kind of hypnotizes you for a bit. Yeah, this song's totally like that too. Like, it is a really simple kind of chord structure, but like the the uplifting nature of the the main melodic line and the the, the amazing production, mm-hmm. you just kind of pl- pass right through this whole song, even though it has three verses and choruses. Yeah, and, and for sure. And then the way it ends with this sweet like repeating instrumental, it kind of becomes the outro, and then we're done. And first thing I wanted to do after that was re-listen to it. 
what I'm finding, what I'm finding interesting about this conversation, I didn't really think about it until now, is that uh, this song we're talking about this and and how you just kind of roll through it, and same with uh, uh, Tom Petty. Uh, what's the song called? You don't know how, you don't it, know feels. how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, and now I'm thinking about it. Those songs both have the same structure, essentially. Mm-hmm. Do they not? Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom Petty does wail a couple more harmonica solos right, out of right. nowhere. Um, <laughs> one since we're since we're throwing back to previous episodes, I just want to point out that this song actually was in uh, a movie we did back in our second episode, Donnie Darko, which is pretty the best soundtrack, trivia. probably the best soundtrack of any movie for '80s kind of amazing music right do you do you just a little a little uh trivia for you boys do you remember the part that the song plays at in the, the party when he's with his girlfriend and they're, yeah. they're yeah. you got it it's it, it prefaces the the actual killing of frank yeah, yeah. i totally remember that too trill i thought i thought i could stump you but there's no stump in the t-meister today <laughs> no I, i'm on the the anything about joy division they're one of those bands that like to this day I'll watch their videos and and play their music and listen to it. It's just a big, big influence for me. And I think they were like kind of like the prototypical, like modern kind of punk band to me. Yeah. And this song specifically I thought was outstanding. And I I just, full disclosure, I listened to it about four or five times in a row um, just because it had that listen, listenability. And I was picking up new stuff every time I would listen to it. And it kind of took me down a rabbit hole of other songs and other things. And so, yeah, it was definitely a, a good. Uh... I think uh, one of the difficulties that I had actually doing my research for this podcast, which again involves getting baked and listening to the same song over and over again, is the fact that I've gotten baked and listened to this song four or five times in a row <laughs> so many times in my life that like by now it's just it's just it's just a ritual you know so i think that's kind of why i had a hard time breaking it down part by part because it just is one solid thing to me yeah and i think what's really cool is like it's awesome that brett's like yeah i don't normally listen to this band where we're like gushing about how much we love it and i think if you haven't really given uh joy division or new order a chance and you're like a new listen for you you probably know level tear us apart but i i do really do highly recommend like digging through the catalog it's it's really like bleak. They describe it as the sound of Manchester, which was like a really depressing, bleak place back in the seventies. You know, their music has like this certain darkness to it. And even new order, like even blue Monday is a huge hit, but it's still like a weird dark song. If you think about it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely, it's such a product of, of its time and time and environment, you know, like it, 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 it couldn't have come out of really, any anywhere else you're you're so right it is just the sound of manchester yeah. um but that being said you know like there's so much to talk about with this band and i feel like we're we're like we're we haven't even touched on the song really did you did you have any other points or anything to bring up there brad or well like in terms of the actual structure and itinerary of the song i kind of made it through um like what i had written down but they're one of those bands that like i obviously would love to do more of their songs but i think mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to this song before, it's probably that's, one of my all-time favorites, and I highly That's what I was going to say. Coming coming from the perspective of someone who had not really been into this band and, and definitely didn't know this song well, like I'm sure I've heard it casually playing in the background at one of your guys' places or something. Or li- watching Donnie Darko. Yeah, but I hadn't really like given it the proper listen over and over and over, and the rabbit hole it took me down with the different bands and stuff, I, I highly advise anyone who's never 
heard Joy Division or who might have just like heard them in passing, do a deep dive, get into the story, get into the lore of the band and get into all that because it's it's a good time. And let's face it, folks, we're locked down. Red zone incoming. Let's uh, you got lots of time. I strongly advise doing that. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's one thing we, we if we're going to talk about Joy Division, you know, again, we have to bring up the elephant in the room, which is New Order and uh, Ian Curtis. Uh, he did take his life at one point. He had suffered from uh, epilepsy and severe depression. And, you know, you can hear it in his lyrics. You can hear the things he's talking about. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it was tragic. But the guys decided to continue on without him and just went on as uh, without a singer, just the same guys and formed New Order, which was absolutely incredible. Yeah, New Order yeah. is definitely, I think that's what makes Joy Division even more special is that Joy Division on their own were kind of like this revolutionary band. But then you get treated to many records by New Order and they had, like I said, repeated a couple times, Blue Monday, as well as other songs that were huge hits. Um, so yeah, my my rating on this song is like, I'd probably give it like a 9.6 out of 10, personally. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can see why you do that just based on knowing you and knowing how into the band you are. Um, because I don't have a lot of experience, this may change down the road as I get more and more into the band. But purely based on the song, I'm going to give it an 8, which I think is still pretty reasonable. Yeah. But um, that's like yeah, 8. That's what I'm going. What minus. about you, Philski? What do you... Uh, what do you, feel? you know, this song, honestly, like I'm trying to think of something witty and clever to say, and I'm just like, no, nah, this song just rocks ass. That's the, you get the rock ass award. Um, I'm going to give this song like a, like, I don't want to give a 10, but like, I, you fuck it. I'm giving this song a 10. It's just an amazing <laughs> song. It's just like, there's never a time when I hear this song. I'm like, you know what? I'll skip this one. Since we're friends, I could just imagine like, me and Phil, I just imagine us like I just playing this song. You know, we would like rock out to this song and play it like with a lot of like respect because when I hear this song, it just reminds me of a whole genre of bands that kind of sprung up because of this band. I think that's why they mean so much to me. Uh, so yeah, go go listen to them. <laughs> yeah, it's Joy Division. You got to put some respect on it. It's <laughs> you know New you Order. Know used to... Put some respect on it. And New Order. Fun fact. Sorry to interrupt you there, Brett, but New Order still jamming out to this day. Listen to the song called uh, Singularity. It came out in 2016, and that's New Order. Like still rocking ass to this day. Yeah, you got to you got to respect a band with that kind of longevity. Um, I just wanted to do an aside here uh, as we kind of wind down the song portion. But um, Terrell, you, you said a, a word that uh, gets said a lot, obviously, in the music realm is genre. And uh, since we're talking about longevity and stuff, I want to shout out uh, my man, great Canadian Alex Trebek, who passed oh, away. Yeah. And the reason I bring him up is because nobody said the word genre like Alex Trebek. If you ever, if you ever watched Jeopardy, he had this... He had this way of pronouncing the word genre that was just that's very specific brett like immaculate. that's that's yeah. hyper specific and i like it do you yeah. have a do you have a shrine to alex trebek that we don't know about no i just i just <laughs> love him and i know that i i've definitely seen posts online of like 30 seconds straight of him just saying genre a genre category this genre of art this genre of novel this genre of game this alliterative genre really i gotta genre. check that i gotta genre. find that after this yeah i gotta have to look that up for sure and with that i think uh i think we can wrap the 
the song portion of the episode and uh, prepare for the movie portion, which uh, ironically is about a guy named Mitch as well. Um, so shout this out episode Mitch. is brought to you. Shout out to Mitch. This episode is brought to you by the Presto Heat Dish plus Footlight. It's an electric parabolic heater. Yes, and we are going to take a little break. And if you were a sponsor, besides the Presto Heat Dish, our obvious sponsor, um, I got to keep Phil warm in his shed. You could you could definitely get in on this spot right now and have your own tasty ad and we'd put it over we'd record it all for you and we'd do it in our awesome hilarious way but uh yeah yeah we really need we really need the ad because then we can get enough money to get phil in his basement at least yeah. not, in his, not in his shed anymore with this presto heater <laughs> the presto heat dish for when you don't have soundproofing and a six year six month old child <laughs> all right let's take a break Welcome back to Stoner's Point of View, second half, as we prepare to dig into the 2003 Will Ferrell comedy, Old School. Gentlemen, first thoughts about the movie before we dive in. So this movie, uh, I actually saw it in theater with my brother-in-law, who both of you guys know. Uh, we went, we were in St. Catharines picking my sister up from work. She worked as a hairdresser in, at the Penn Center in St. Catharines. And we ended up showing Shout up Penn like, Center. Oh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. If you want to buy a shirt and meet a crackhead, go to the Penn Center. But anyways, uh, <laughs> we ended up showing up like a few hours early, which was funny because he didn't smoke weed and I didn't have any weed. So we were both sober. We went and saw old school and we have I've never laughed so much in a movie theater. It was to the point where I actually had to call him and tell him that we were doing an episode on this so we would actually have somebody listening. And uh, he's, he said the same thing, like he's never laughed so hard in a movie theater. And yeah, it was just, just I look back at this, at this movie and I just have like this like nostalgic appeal for it. For which, which is great because that's, yeah, that's that along with uh, the copious amounts of marijuana will definitely enhance your viewing pleasure of this movie. So <sighs> with that, let's dig right in. Uh, the movie starts and we get Mitch at uh, our main character, Luke Wilson, at a boy. He's at a seminar and he decides to bail early to fly home. Uh, he gets home and he thinks he hears his wife upstairs having a huge affair but when he gets in the room, turns out she's just watching porn. Everything's good, right? Wrong. Out come the, uh, the couple with blindfolds on. Turns out his wife's actually in the middle of a huge orgy. And uh, that's enough for Mitch to be like, yeah, I'm out. Well, the best is he goes to leave and the guy's like, hey, uh, is this the place with the gangbang? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, the guy's got the mustache. Oh yeah, he's got the old flavor saver for sure. But what's funny is I was watching this, and 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 yeah, the very start when Buddy's at the conference. I worked in real estate for a while. Now I work in the marijuana industry, so I've had to see seminars on both. But in my industry now, it's like the sem seminars are are a blessing because then you finally get a break from like smoking weed and getting high. So you actually want to sit in that seminar for a while and just mellow out, chill. It's just and the guy's probably talking about some cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> then you it's go funny. home and find your girlfriend cheating on you. Right. Right. Um, so uh, in my experience, in my experience, sorry. So we, we get a, a wedding scene after this. We see, uh, we see uh, Beanie, 
Vince Vaughn's character. And I'm just, for those who are listening, who have listened before, you know that I refer to the characters as their actors' names, and I will continue to do so. This will be no exception. But I will mention the character's name before I get into it. Anyways, um, Vince Vaughn is there, and he's saying, con- consistently trying to talk <laughs> his friend, Frank, Will Ferrell, out of getting married, using some, some very funny... Uh, funny verbiage to do so which you find out is actually some good friend advice for his situation (laughs) later for frank he just gets divorced anyways i i gotta say you know how everyone loves this movie because of you know farrell's hilarious like characterization of of his character but i actually love vince vaughn in this movie i think this is the best vince vaughn part ever oh vince vaughn is so like yeah vince vaughn is is awesome in this movie but that that moment like yeah when (laughs) when the bride's coming out he's like don't do this man you can still get out you can still get out do i look happy do i get happy yeah look at the baby look at the baby smile everything's great (laughs) you can can still get out of this and it's so like everyone i've known that's gotten married since then if like i can like talk to the groom it's not like i'm gonna have that talk with him like is there that guy like was there that guy and then like you know brett you got married then i got married and it's like, I'm like, well, I, I do it. I did it at your wedding, ironically, as a joke. Yeah, like, exactly. Because yeah. because it's it's just it's the classic trope to do at someone's wedding, where you just kind of pull the guy aside if you know him and you talk. They're to him saying their vows, and he's like, "Don't do it." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have in my notes actually. It's good thing you mentioned that, Terrell, because I have in my notes that Vince Va- Vince Vaughn is crushing this role because I I think he did a, a really great job of that. Um, the next thing that stuck out to me was the next scene when we're, um, we're getting the dance scene and it's the cover band <laughs> doing turnaround <laughs> with the swear. Oh when he drops the, yeah, when he drops the first F bomb and see yes. Will Ferrell's face. <laughs> yes. He, him, him and his wife. Look, 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 look in your eyes. <laughs> did, did, did he, did, did, did he? No. <laughs> it's like every night, every fucking night. You know, like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what's funny about this movie is you can tell like what i think personally and i I didn't read this anywhere but you can definitely tell that will ferrell style in those kind of movies is to like make this up like i think what happened was they were like hey when you're singing that song just throw a couple f-bombs in and we'll relax uh, you know react to it and you could tell a lot of this movie was done by and you can definitely tell with ferrell and and vaughn that Mm -hmm. they were just making good good funny jokes up as they went Oh yeah, there's so much improv in this movie. Like, for uh, sure. you know, later on, like this movie's from 2003. You know, we're gonna jump all over the timeline a bit, but mm-hmm. you're gonna see so many moments where where Will Ferrell just like freaks out and just takes it over that top, <laughs> right? Like he just and- he just goes over that line, but just enough. And like I feel like this movie was actually very influential on on the comedy genre as a whole because genre. it kind of brought that to the genre. uh that brought that to the forefront and led to guys like tom green and eric andre it, well i tom green had been around for a long time i shouldn't say that but you know guys like eric, eric andre and that whole genre of just over the top ridiculous yep. comedy and and you could you can tell that that's taking place because the other actors in the scene are actively trying to not break character and struggling mightily to do so. Oh yeah! Could you imagine trying to trying to keep it deadpan with Will Ferrell in front of your face, well, freaking out? No. There's, I, there's actually the a podcast that I listen to, uh, Danish and O'Neill, and uh, they used to deliver groceries around L.A. and they delivered groceries to Will Ferrell, 
And the guy's like, he was saying, he's like, his kid was like getting, like doing something. He's yelling at his kid. And he's like, it's, it's Will Ferrell yelling. And so it's funny, but you're trying not to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny about this movie too. Like you were saying, like the character, uh, Mitch, who's uh, played by Luke Wilson. You can really tell that like, he's trying really hard to be the straight man to his yeah. insane friends, you know, and, and Beanie yeah. of course is like, I, I think Beanie, I, everyone talks about Farrell in this movie, but once again, like I think Beanie has a lot more funny lines in this movie, like right, like right off the bat, once, uh, once Mitch like breaks up with his wife and then he moves into this ca- campus near a fictional Harrison university in upstate New York, that, you know, th- their friends, uh, throw him a party called Mitch Palooza and like I think Vaughn is the h- most hilarious in this part where he's telling his kids to like you know earmuffs to like swear and talk about all the sex he's yeah. gonna have and like I just this whole movie is just full of like hilarious moments uh, like a hilarious part of that scene actually that I, I got jotted down is he tells his kid to cover his ears and then it it's a close-up shot of them having a conversation and if you look in the background you can see the kid just kind of like lets go of his ears for a minute and then like realizes and like covers up again really quickly and just as a dad with a six year old like I can yeah. totally <laughs> I gotta work on the earmuffs yeah I gotta work on the earmuffs that's too. definitely like a strategy I've like I've always thought of now I actually have a kid and I'm like yes earmuffs for sure but one <laughs> of my other favorite uh, beanie things is like and actually happens several times for the movie he'll like be like somebody you know what you didn't just let me down you let max down and he points yeah. to his kid who's got his yeah, yeah. definitely uses <laughs> definitely uses as his kid as leverage um just to keep with the timeline a bit we because it sets up some story stuff for later mitch meets uh, his old high school crush at the wedding proceeds to spill coffee all over her it's this giant disaster um then we get a scene with beanie's wife who actually is played by an actress named leah ramini and uh, she's not super well known, but if you if you saw her, you would recognize her. And I've always liked her acting, even from as far back as Saved by the Bell, when I saw her for the first time. Um, as this like Saved by the Bell sidetrack here, Saved by the Bell did this series of I think it was two seasons where they were working in Hawaii as like a resort staff, like and they weren't in school; they were just at this Hawaiian resort as the staff. And she was like the manager's daughter who has like a love interest with Zach Morris. Anyways, side note on Saved by the Bell for all you uh, Saved by the Bell fans. It's uh, You know what? I Leah Ramini, I say Remini, I don't know. But yeah. uh, this is actually the, the, the least annoying role I've ever seen her in, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. I Most actually enjoyed her in this. Uh, well, King of Queens is like, like mean wife with like – bitch husband <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I don't know every, every bad so <laughs> so yeah, is like, that is that why you hate it so much because it like so closely resembles your situation exactly oh, yeah. oh bird of, yeah. the, oh, bird of, bird of the day boys i was due i was due oh god damn it my wife listens to this guys <laughs> <laughs> she's outside right now she's looking no. <laughs> she has a baseball bat just tapping it in her hand but no like just like leah remedy i don't know there's there's something of like i watched her whole scientology series and everything and it was just just like, like she she's doing interviews and i'm like she was yeah she did a whole oh, series about it on nice. hbo oh, where oh, she nuts. left and like got harassed you know it's actually really interesting but it'd be way, more to, way to ruin leah remini for me it'd be awful, more interesting though? if she would actually interview people and stop talking you know it's awful that scientology exists what's even more awful is that you watch that special <laughs> <laughs> well it's, a, it's about like uh like it's interviewing people that left and shit she left mm. oh okay. actually it's interesting if you can but stomach I'm, her be, voice i get you yeah 
Um, so we get the wedding toast, which I really liked because Mitch himself is toasted. And he starts venting about his whole life and telling <laughs> a story about his wife and stuff. And of course, our boy Beanie comes in and saves the day. And he like he just jumps on with some bullshit line about I think what I'm, I'm trying to tell you is true love is blind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just saves the day in the scene. Um, and then we get the uh, yeah, Mitch moves to the house on the campus, and we get this housewarming scene. And <laughs> one of my f- favorite moments, I, I laughed out loud about this, is. Uh, the scene with Will Ferrell trying to give Mitch a toaster, like a bread maker. <laughs> oh, that, yes. That he just got for his wedding gift from Mitch. <laughs> tried to give it to him as a housewarming gift. Brett, uh, as a fellow married guy, yeah. have, you, have you ever, like, because I've definitely, like, re-gifted some stuff. And, like, <laughs> yeah. been like, is it, like, they didn't give us this, right? yeah yeah you have to discuss it because oh yeah well like for our wedding we got like three toasters and are you supposed to write down who what what people got you so that you can use it yeah you know why they you know why they ask you know why they say to do that why so you don't give it back to them by accident yeah Yeah. that's that's exactly (laughs) Um, why so then we get we get a cool scene with frank and his wife where uh, he's talking about heading over to the house and he's gonna help mitch and all of a sudden his wife's like spider sense must start tingling because she's like all of a sudden really concerned. And that's our first kind of introduction to the legend of Frank the Tank. And she's like, we're a long time removed from Frank the Tank. We don't want to go back there, insinuating that uh, there's some history there. And I was intrigued at this point. I knew who Frank the Tank was, but (laughs) I was like, okay, all right. We're going to get some good stuff here. I love how she comes out and he's like working on his car. He's like, he got like this old ass, like eighties Camaro. Yeah. And it's so uh, loud. And so loud. And she comes out. She's like, it's really loud. And he's like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> took off the limiter plate. Don't tell anyone. She's not exactly street legal. And she's like, do you want to, I made you a nice tea. He's like, no, 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 no. I just, uh, I just cracked open. A- yeah. I got a beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we, uh, we get back to the party, the housewarming party for Mitch that uh, Beanie threw. He's still a baller badass, um, <laughs> has yet to drop that act at all. Uh, we get Frank getting talked into a beer. And a, a scene here that, that I, I have to bring up, unfortunately, and it sucks that I have to bring this up, is when he first gets and the guys are trying to talk him into the beer. And they're like, what, you got something to do tomorrow? He's like, actually, yeah, I got a big day tomorrow. We're going to Home Depot. And I just, I felt that in my soul, man. Yes. Well, one of my notes on this is that when I first heard that line, it was funny because it was so absurd. And then watching it now, it was so funny because that sounds like a good Saturday to me. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, it, it. what it sounds like is a realistic Saturday. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You get Uh, home and you're like, you talk to the wife, you're like, you know what? We did good today. We did good. But uh, Will Ferrell instead turns into Frank the Tank. Right. He starts drinking and then uh, he disappears for a little bit. And then we get uh, Beanie's intro speech. And I think, just side note, I think this is the most that I've actually referred to a character as their character name in a show ever but anyways we get Beano's Beanie's intro speech and one thing that uh really stuck out for me and I quoted here was Mitch is very di- disease free <laughs> I like that so yeah, he's really set his friend for success with the oh, lady oh, dude he oh, yeah it, he actually really was though when he started referring to him as the godfather like he created well, the whole mythos of well, the godfather that's the thing, like, Mitchos, if you will a lot yeah. of the times like Mitch doesn't even appreciate and Beanie always says this to him as you go through the movie. A lot of times, as we we talk about this film, you'll notice that like the big character for Beanie is that like even though he's like a really loyal guy, 
he still has like this like frat boy mentality, but he's still so loyal that like his idea of like being a good friend is saying stuff like this and having Snoop Dogg play it at his friend's place. Yeah, exactly. Well, all the thing is too, is that he has like the resources at his disposal too. Cause he even says I own three stereo cities and like I'm worth this <laughs> yeah. much at the government. So he's got the resources at his disposal to live vicariously through his friend, <laughs> exactly. but also set his friend up with the life that he wants to live vicariously. You right. Know? Exactly. <laughs> And uh, so then we get Frank the Tank starting to fire up a little bit. <laughs> he gets on the mic and tells everybody they're going streaking classic line. Still, still <laughs> used to this day. You can go into a room of people, and even if half of them haven't seen old school, you could say, we're going streaking. And people will, A, look at you like you're weird, but B, get the reference. Yeah. Oh, my favorite line during that is, come on, bring your green hat. Yeah. Remember, remember when repeating lines from movies was like all some really lame dudes had for personality. Yeah. like that, And this is one of those lines where like, other than like, what's up saying let's go streaking was such like a big hit if you like didn't have a personality and just watch The Office. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's been so long since the movie came out and since that whole thing that now it's become funny to ironically say it. Just like, what's <laughs> up? Like, what's up? It's like a funny, ironic thing to say. That's because you, you like would never say it to attempt to be cool. You're saying it because you know that it's not cool. <laughs> Hey Brett. Hey Brett. Wada. 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 Okay. Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> so then Frank this, Frank goes streaking all by himself. We get the scene with the ladies in the car. There's some funny uh, chit chat with the ladies in the car talking about a bunch of different things. And then uh, they see someone running down the road naked. <laughs> Who is that? Is there someone running down the road naked? They pull up, and sure enough, it's Frank, and he's just killing it in this scene. I have a question oh for you goodness. guys. I just wanted to ask you this. Is when I saw this film and I was really high, um, I'm, I'm a single dad, so I don't actually have a, a partner. But because you guys are married, I wanted to ask this question. And I'm going to ask Brett first, then Phil. So just Phil, just let, let Brett answer this first. So like, how would your wife actually react to you drunkenly running down the street streaking? Oh, what would you man. think would she would, you, she would be so pissed and tell me to get the F in the car now. <laughs> like would you be in big trouble for like years like would it be brought up at like christmas dinner forever um yeah uh yeah yeah it'd be a big deal so same question okay so i gotta back away from the mic a little bit here just to so this is what it would approximately sound like phil what the fuck (laughs) something along those lines and then uh i'd probably uh have to lawyer up (laughs) <laughs> and uh let's just say i wouldn't be recording this podcast from the shed anymore boys it's i was thinking about this because obviously like as you if everyone that's it's an old movie so i'm not gonna ruin the film obviously frank gets divorced um so you, you think about it like would it really actually strain your relationship and the reality is it probably would if your wife caught you with her friends oh yeah drunk for sure um I, I think I'd be in trouble, but I think that's about <laughs> as far as it goes. It'd be like three weeks of doghouse, and then I'd, I'd, do, I'd earn enough brownie points to smooth it over again. See, with Phil, it's not <laughs> the first time, you know? It's probably the second or seventh offense. Clearly, you're less terrified of your wife than I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the lines in this scene, though, that I, I thought was hilarious was when Frank's, like, kind of being apologetic, and he's, like, you know, talking about how, like, you know, I'm sorry about. I was like, do you think KFC still open? Yes, <laughs> that that mo- that moment right there is like one of the ones that I think he improvised. Because if you look, I never noticed it before, but like the one, the girl beside him 
she starts to laugh right and it's right. just so genuine and you're just like oh yeah yeah he wasn't supposed to say that <laughs> so then we get the the morning after scene in mitch's house he wakes up with uh a girl much younger than him uh alicia cuthbert playing the character did uh an, a mediocre job and um this whole scene is more or less forgettable uh the part that really stuck out to me was when the dean jeremy piven's character comes in and starts looking around and uh starts kind of laying down the law a bit and you get the vibe this guy's a huge dick and he plays a great dick <laughs> and the, the line that he says that stuck out to me the absolute most was um He's about to go out the door. It's like, can I ask you something? He's like, absolutely not. But it's been good seeing you guys. Just <laughs> walks that is great. Yeah. So a specific thing I noticed in that movie or in that part was, uh, did you notice that the front door of that house is gigantic? Yeah, it's it was a big. really big door. It's a nice but house. Also, uh, shout out to my boy, Jay Pivs. Uh, Jerry Pivs just kills it in this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jay Piv fan. Yeah, but also... He does get my jerk of the week award because okay. he's kind of a jerk in this movie. Oh, big oh yeah. Jerk. Huge jerk. Yeah. So do, does your jerk of the week award typically just go to the antagonist of every movie? Is it? <laughs> well, is just like, I, I, you know, I actually was going to give it to uh, Ian Curtis, the singer of uh, Joy Division, because oh, he was kind of a jerk too. But then I was like, ah, he killed himself. So yeah. he was even a jerk to himself in the end. And yeah. uh, so I, I decided to give it to Jeremy Piven instead. But okay, if I do ask. Yeah. Uh, so then, we, uh, speaking of therapy, we get a therapy scene with uh, Will Ferrell and his wife. He does this uh, underpants monologue, which I thought was uh, very funny. I laughed. And then uh, his, his wife and the therapist aren't really having this underpants scene <laughs> or this underpants dialogue that he's uh, spouting off. And then it's funny how innocent he looks. He's like, is this not a safe space? What about the truth <laughs> nest? <laughs> What's well, funny is truth- like, that was funny in 2003, but now it's like that people would be like, yeah, I thought this was the truth nest. What the <laughs> hell? Because <laughs> um, places like that actually exist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> Man. Anyways, um, we get this scene with Mitch and it finds out that the girl that he uh, slept with last night is actually like a co-worker's daughter, which... Who's in high school. Who is in high school. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was something. Well, one of the things that we forgot to mention is that, like, the Dean Pritchard informed them they got to vacate the house, and that's where they set up the the whole fraternity idea. Right. Oh yes, the entire premise of the movie. We <laughs> yeah, did forget. To yeah, yeah. That. Just, <laughs> I know you guys are a couple of stoners. I just wanted to really point out that one particular point. It's actually, it's actually like the next line in my notes. But so, so at least we're in sync with that. But, yeah. yeah um, prior to that, actually, uh, Farrell's got to stay at Mitch's now because his wife understandably kicked his ass out <laughs> yeah um but yes due to uh dean pritchard i believe yeah um giving them the notice that they're going to be uh kicked out of the house because they've rezoned yeah uh we get beanie comes up with the great idea to create a fraternity to save the house and then this is this is where the the earmuffs kind of get introduced because they have the kitchen scene arguing about starting the fraternity <laughs> mitch is like not having it Beanie's like, I need this. You need this. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's just yeah. so convincing, and uh, convincing. Check me out. Um, and then I yeah, the, 
they finally decide to start the fraternity. And then I really enjoy the next scene because it's the scene in the van where they're picking up the potential pledges for this fraternity. <laughs> yeah. And it's just got Master of Puppets rocking in the background. So great. They, I love that. They're driving the shit out of this van. <laughs> it's an like, amazing car scene. Like a lot of the times we always joke. I think it's a, we should make this like a running thing talking about the car scenes because in this car scene, you know, compared to The Rock, they really do burn some fucking rubber if I yeah. don't say so like myself. Slam on so, the brakes. This scene... Like, again, watching this in theater with my brother-in-law, like, and it's at this scene where you realize, like, what kind of comedy you're getting into. Right. But at that point in time, there weren't, there wasn't that type of comedy. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just, like, all of a sudden, like, like, uh, like pantyhose over the face, driving this back, like, this black van, driving the shit out of it, and, like, yeah. grabbing a guy in front of his wife at the, at the grocery store, get in the van, or I'll, no, if you tell anyone about this, I'll fucking kill you. Like, really? but not, so- not really. We'll bring him home before. Dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'm kidding. Other- I'm kidding. Well, I'm home by the night. And you know what's really funny in this scene where they actually, you know, they eventually like get noticed around for like putting their pledges through all this stuff, which is a pretty funny point of the movie. Well, yeah, let, they, let's just talk about this for a second. But this, my we get the part frat of stuff is the frat stuff is when the, the line where he's like, he's like, at this point, you might be asking yourself, why am I holding this 30 pound cinder block in my hand? You might also ask yourself, why does the cinder block have a long piece of string tied to it? And finally, why is the other end of the string tied securely to your penis? <laughs> and like they, they make them throw the block over and right and the, and the joke is that the ropes are all longer than the length of the wall to the ground it's a faith exercise obviously but then then the one falls through the manhole <laughs> well the funny part is feral before this he's like do you trust us <laughs> like, he's like screaming it's, it's right yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah that's like the first introduction to frank being like all in on the fraternity yeah. lord it's like, his whole boss. life yeah it's yeah. well it's all the will ferrell screaming that's also the first time you hear that uh uh blow you my boy yeah that <laughs> <laughs> just comes in so much later which is great so then yeah we get the we get them actually tossing the cinder blocks off the roof um the one attached to weensy's little weenie falls <laughs> through a manhole and pulls them off the roof i'm just saying <laughs> Seeing him struggling on the ground, bare ass, just, I was howling, man. I, you can't not laugh at that. Uh, that character, though, like, there's a few moments in this movie that just have terrible special effects, and it, they all involve him. Yeah. It's like, we're just going to make this guy fly through the air, and we obviously can't make that happen for real. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Um, we get, uh, after this, another scene, uh, Dean in the Dean's office with our boy Jer- Jeremy P. And uh, the J Pivs. J Pivs. He's a dick, but once again, uh, I think he suits the role so well. I, I, I just can't imagine anyone else doing that role. Um, we get a, a quick switch to the workplace scene where it's like kind of like Fight Club. Guys are treating Mitch like he's like, um, you know, some kind of mob boss or something. And he's, guy's trying to talk him into letting him in the fraternity i need this i need this yeah and uh yeah mitch just kind of blows him off my favorite part here is like you know they where they have the birthday party at for one of bernard's kids um my favorite line in the whole movie is when like he's yelling at his uh the new um you know recruits to the fraternity and he goes he's like come on shake the tail when you walk and he yeah. Yeah. dinosaur yeah. walks yeah. away. Yeah. yeah, I love that he takes on this uh, this dictator frat leader persona <laughs> for that. 
Well, um, you mentioned the, the birthday scene, Terrell. How about at the birthday when Will Ferrell's character again tries to give the same bread maker to Vince <laughs> yeah, Vaughn's kid? kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, um, so funny. I, sorry, I just uh, I need to organize my notes here for a sec because we skipped over an entire scene, but I realized that it had Andy Dick in it, and I don't care about that idiot. So well, we'll he, just skip that. Yeah, it's it's a stupid scene anyway. It's because um, like, yeah, yeah, he gets the kid a bread maker for his birthday, and then we get some stuff with Mitch and uh, his high school girlfriend's uh, boyfriend Mark, uh, who is like a huge douchebag. Um, and then we get my personal favorite scene of the whole movie. I have talked with friends about this and like joked and laughed about it many, many times. Let me guess. Let me guess. Does it involve a tranquilizer gun? It absolutely does. <laughs> Frank, Frank finds a tranquilizer gun. We get, we get the introduction to Sean William Scott's character. Who's hilarious. Oh. He's, he's and this is hilarious. the best time. This is the best time. Like the, it's Sean William Scott playing Sean William Scott. The best he's ever done it in this movie right, right I, here. I agree and i i just I, this scene is so memorable because so much so much of it over time every part of this scene i think has been reminisced about and laughed about um yeah. so he picks up the gun and you got sean williams got saying you know that thing could puncture the skin of a rhino from 100 and <laughs> mid-sentence doosh, shoots the shoots the track dart in his neck <laughs> you guys know that they actually shot a real trank into will ferrell's neck eh no, uh, I do not know. Are, are you making that up? Yeah, I'm just making that up. Okay, all right. Just I, I thought maybe. Um, yeah, but then, this, uh, isn't the, this isn't the crow. <laughs> Sean, Sean William Scott is actually like super enthused by this dart being in Will Ferrell's neck. He's just yes, yes. that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> and then you, and then you start to see you start to see neck. things change and everything starts slowing down. He's like, you better get that out, man. And then we'll like, like, <laughs> the voice of Jake is like, get water out. Like, you got a fucking dart in your mouth. <laughs> it's, like, it's such a Will classic. Ferrell's slow motion rampage through through the crowd <laughs> of little kids. It's like George Costanza pushing aside old people, but it's yeah. Will Ferrell in slow yeah. motion, so it's actually better. Well, and I like, I like, and I, I still use this in conversation to this day, so I'm one of those guys that quotes movies still to this day. But... Uh, I like I like when uh, after after it starts slowing down and William Scott's like uh, like you got a dart in your neck. He's like what? He's like you're crazy. I like you, but you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, uh, to to take it aside, I, you do like uh, quoting movies quite a bit. And uh, what was it one time you said to a person, uh, "You are one pathetic loser." loser. <laughs> no offense. They, uh, yeah, it just went right over their heads because <laughs> that's what happens when you get older, man. Um, but yeah, then we get some. Uh, some story development with Mitch and his girlfriend there and the, uh, they're starting to get a little closer and you see a little romance, uh, starting to, to re-blossom there. And it's interrupted awkwardly and promptly by frat dudes, uh, who come in with the KY jelly or actually rather a report that they can't find the KY jelly. <laughs> Which <laughs> leads then, us uh, to the next best scene where they have like, sets up, yes, exactly. Like, Thank you. To where it sets our, up. Our, our dear boy blue yeah. dies from excitement. Uh, yeah, and I we think get his, K, his KY jelly match with two college girls. Yeah, and, uh, rest in power, that, Blue. Rest in power. Part of this whole like arc is actually like the the scene where Will Ferrell sings "Dust in the Wind," mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and that part is like to me just like so Will Ferrell, like the classic rock and him singing yeah. at the funeral. It's just the best. Well, scene. that 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 throws back like vibes of his Saturday Night Live stuff. Exactly. Yeah, just start singing and stuff. 
Um, uh, not only Saturday Night Live, but also like uh, you know, obviously having the the view of it in retrospect is uh, like Step Brothers. He sings Ave Maria. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He yeah. nails it. You know, yeah. he's homeboy's got a good singing voice. Yep. And uh, so, so we get Frank singing at the funeral, Dust in the Wind. He has a chat with his wife. She wants a divorce. Okay. We get some more story development. Mark's actually turned into even more of a douchebag than we thought he was as he sells Mitch out and tries to blame Mitch for all the douchebaggery that Mark himself was guilty of. Um, Mitch is out for coffee with Nicole, the girl that he slept with that's in high school comes in. It's this whole awkward stuff. And what stuck out for me in this scene was the waiter, some throwaway character, actually kills, yes. kills it in this scene i don't brian know the was. It's, it's brian callen okay and, uh yeah. the, the latest of the me hashtag me too's glad okay. that you brought that up fighter in the kid podcast uh also yeah. a former cast member of mad tv but uh he did the fighter in the kid with brendan schaub okay and now he's off there because he's he's, yeah. he's i did uh, not realize that was yeah. the same i did not realize like that was currently involved in uh, in some me too shit Okay. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened or what didn't happen, but right, right. Just, what's, what's I, I didn't even know that was the right same now. guy, but what I do know is that he crushed this scene. And for me, he was the standout part. So I don't have a whole lot of specific notes about it other than the story stuff. But then we get the big foil arc with the dean shutting down the fraternity. We get the big, uh, the big turn. <laughs> and it's point. almost like a sports movie. Like, why, why is it like every Vince Vaughn movie always has like a some sort of sporting event that you have to complete to somehow finish the movie? I don't. Yes, don't, don't worry, listeners. We will do dodgeball at some point. <laughs> My favorite thing though is in that when when Will Ferrell's the mascot and he jumps through the ring and he just falls like he doesn't even like even come close. Just jumps and just absolutely. <laughs> eats shit like right, right off right. the bat and like, there's not even a possibility of him making it like right. he just like just too low catches yeah. on fire and then yeah. that and scene so, in the locker room where he, he's like we gotta keep calm and yeah. that's another example of just classic will ferrell improvisation yeah. so what phil's talking about is that they've they've realized that there's some hope to save the fraternity if they pass all these tests and one of the tests was a dance cheerleading competition and yes it was a very very funny scene another funny scene in the the test that they're doing is uh will ferrell in the debate scene he owns the raging cajun like a master <laughs> debater and just owns them and then it's like dude where'd that come from he's like i don't know i blacked out <laughs> <laughs> what I, I i don't know if it's the case or not but like watching it now i'm like oh he was actually he's just like a high functioning alcoholic and he was yeah. like not just blacked out like it was a weird thing that happened he was just blackout drunk and did that i'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure yeah um so then uh, they get through all the tests uh, j pivs or mans tells them that they failed the tests and they'd have to flunk out they don't understand why because they actually killed everything turns out that uh they also killed blue whose zero <laughs> score brought killed them with down. pleasure and uh, yeah speaking of that side note about the blue scene i i love when he's just like ring the bell you pussy <laughs> <laughs> but then but just anyways. freezes there like uh. yeah um so then we get um it turns out that the um there's a character we didn't even mention because there's just a Megan. lot going on but yeah the student body president who gets blackmailed um turns out she has a recording and she catches the dean uh basically admitting to all the nefarious stuff he did he gets outed and then we get to his fight scene with will ferrell which is perfect where he whoops he whoops his ass but somehow ferrell yeah. gets the tape <laughs> well i didn't expect it like honestly like 
it, Will Ferrell is way bigger than our boy Way, way like, bigger. He's a huge <laughs> like, bigger. And he's also like this drunk party guy. Yeah, but it's also perfect that somehow he gets his ass absolutely whipped to the point yeah. where he's like laying on the ground like, I might not make it. Yeah. <laughs> but then he, he does secure the tape. Um, they out the Dean. Dean gets canned. And everything's hunky-dory. They, uh, the guys emerge victorious. Um, and we start to get the, the post- shenanigans um yeah, where, where everything's winding down all the story arcs are coming to a close yeah. we get mitch and nicole his uh, high school sweetheart we get them reminiscing and uh kind of making up over the truck she realizes mark was a douchebag we get a we find out that uh frank the tank is now a radio dj for the college campus and, and, he, and he leads the, the and he runs the fraternity yeah, yeah he and, leads the fraternity. and i love it he's like get me a beer no right fucking now get me a beer <laughs> he's just so like perfect character and yeah. it's a kind of like a funny movie because it's it's obviously like you could tell it's one of those weird movies where like hey what if like old dudes ran a frat like that's yeah. basically the premise of the film but well, and what I, what i really love too is if if you stuck with it after the credits start to roll we get some some scenes in the credits and we get a credit scene and i've never seen such a satisfying scene because it winds up all the douchebags into one scene and then probably like destroys both of them <laughs> yeah I love how yeah, it's like it's like it's like a a, a a satirical take on like the vindication, where it's just like these guys just actually die just because they're dicks. Yeah, know? yeah, and like not just die, but like over the top die. Like yeah. Mark Mark swerves and drives off a bridge, <laughs> lands on the dean, and the car blows up. Yeah, it's like so so wraps it up. So you know what would you guys i always do this right like so let's maybe start with phil this time phil what would you give this out of 10 this film you know uh this movie i've got some serious nostalgic which is a big thing that plays into it. how we react to stuff eh? I think uh, for sure. absolutely really like, nostalgic, and, you know? and how we well, pick movies in general yeah yeah so i remember this movie for just like having such a a great like time watching it with my brother-in-law and like just laughing so hard and then watching it again i still just laughed my ass off uh so i i'm gonna give it like a solid like i give it an 8.9 and the only reason for that is because it starts a little slow other than that it'd be like well into like like nine point something territory right. mm -hmm. very right cool. what do you give it at a 10 well, I, I, I would have gave it like uh, around a seven, but then we get that sweet scene of Blue singing Dust in the Wind from Heaven and that just kind of uh, took me over <laughs> the edge. I, I'm kidding. I, I like the movie a lot. Um, it's one of my favorite comedies. And once again, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Uh, I'll give it, mm, let's say nine. I'll go with a nine. Amazing. So for me personally, I think this movie for like feral fans is just below Step Brothers for me personally. Yeah. Yes, I think it can be, you know, if you really look at it from like a film point of view, it can be like a slow start. And what's crazy about this film is like, it's a really good comedy. It's really well written, written and it's like really special. And it's directed by Todd Phillips, the guy who did Joker. And he also mm -hmm. did all the hangovers and all that. And it's a really interesting movie. It, it really is just a movie about nothing really in a way. And that's what I love about it because it's, it's really easy to watch. So I will give it a solid 8.9 because of just the, oh boy. the, the classic good, feel of Good it, high scores good from us is. today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah great movie and like this is like it's you you're you're seeing will ferrell just at the like just entering approaching the, the tip of the mountain for his movie career which is right. great yep yep so uh those are our ratings boys and for me that's uh 
that's as good a point as any to, to wrap up the episode. Um, just want to say uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And if you tune in next week, we're, we got a humdinger for you. I'm not going to spoil it on here, but uh, it will definitely come up on our socials at Stoners POV on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, uh, I don't think there's anything left to say that hasn't already been said. So uh, you're my boy, for, Blue. For co-host Terrell, <laughs> for yeah. co-host number two, Phil Froze. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Stoner's Point of View, and we'll see you next week. We're going streaky! No, I'm sorry. Sorry, we're going, we're going streaky through the quad and into the gymnasium. Come on, everybody! Come on! Snoop! Snoop a loop! Snoop a No, it's cool, it's cool. I'm cool. Bring, bring your green hat. Let's go. Come on, everybody!